0: Hello, everyone. This is Manny Fishman. I am joined today by John Epperson, an environmental health and safety lawyer here at Buckhalter. And we're here to talk to you today about reopening procedures in office buildings. Uh, Recently, uh, the state of California upgraded San Francisco's status to a moderate status for uh, exposure to COVID-19 virus. And this uh, may have changed certain things. It seems positive. Uh, John, did that change in status change anything as to commercial offices and the ability of our tenants and employees to come into the office?
1: Well, unfortunately, no, although it's, a, it's certainly a positive sign. The counties are allowed to be more restrictive than the state requirements. And you're right. When, when officially San Francisco is now in the orange or moderate tier in that four-tier system, and under that tier, um, the state will allow um, offices to, to reopen um, with some modifications, and it doesn't specify what the modifications are although you're still to encourage working from home to the degree that you can. But the, the counties are are allowed to be more restrictive and San Francisco has chosen to be more restrictive. They haven't changed the the shelter in place order that, that chased us all home in March. Um, that still requires that offices uh, remain closed except for offices that house essential businesses. But it's positive because we do expect San Francisco to, um, to change its orders to, to allow um, businesses, uh, commercial business offices, to reopen and start to get back to normal. Now, it's not going to be a case where suddenly it's going to be as it was last January. It's, it's certainly going to be with some restrictions on occupancy. There's going to be some other directives that we'll have to comply with in order to safely reopen. But I'm sure that San Francisco is is working on these already because, you know, they understand what a huge impact it is economically for all the office buildings to be shut down. It's it's not just the offices themselves, but it's all the the ancillary um, little businesses and restaurants and uh, you know, no one's riding Bart or Muni or or you know, paying fares under those systems. So. I'm sure they're anxious to get rolling again, but um, as of the moment, they have not chosen to do that. And as kind of an example, um, the, uh, you know, one of the things that's also allowed under the, the orange tier is beginning to reopen um, restaurants for indoor dining. And of course, you know the, the restaurants were on life support before this came along, so it was really important to them. And the city and county did issue guidance on reopening. They do allow restaurants to do indoor dining now. Um, they were a little more restrictive. The, the state would have allowed 50% capacity, uh, whereas um, San Francisco is only going to allow 25%, and they've got a multi page directive on how to do this safely. They'll do the same sort of thing for the commercial office sector as well. There'll be some sort of Um, newly issued guidance that will um, tell us how we're going to be able to move forward. The good news for us and the good news for you and I on this podcast is that we've we've got a good idea of what that directive is going to look like because San Francisco's already had a directive on the books for quite a while because some office spaces were open during um, the, the quarantine period because some of them did in fact house essential businesses. So you know, there's we're not starting from scratch with this. We, we can look at the current directive. Uh,
0: you and I work together with many owners of office buildings and property managers. And I think the takeaway that I've seen from those conversations is the confusion that uh, exists because people are looking at CDC guidelines. People are looking at state guidelines. People are looking at San Francisco guidelines. And some industry guidelines, and they're not really sure what applies. Can you provide some insight as to how we've approached that?
1: Yes, actually, and it's it's um, perfectly valid confusion. I got to say, I mean, there is there has been a lot of guidance. There has not been sort of a central um, authority that's that's taken charge of the situation. So. It's it's been filled up with um, guidance and directives from all over the place, and for San Francisco, um, we can you know it's it's certainly something we can clear up a little bit because um, San Francisco, we really have two things to keep an eye on. One is our shelter-in-place order itself. This is the one that uh, that um, you know, closed down businesses, quarantined everybody, had to work from home. It's, it's called C19-07. That's the, the number of the, the order from the Department of Public Health. That's the one that, I mean, it's enforceable. You can be fined if you violate it. In theory, you could, you could be in prison for, for violating it. But it's the one that covers everything within San Francisco, including commercial office buildings. But because it's very broad, um, it, it doesn't tell us a whole lot about exactly what should uh, an office building landlord and tenant be doing, but uh, San Francisco then issued Directive 2020-18 specifically on um, best practices for office buildings. So this one takes the sort of general instructions of the Shelter and Place Order and puts them in the context of office buildings. And so if if someone's listening and saying, okay, I'm in San Francisco and I'm very confused because I've got Instructions from multiple um, agencies. The best thing to do is take a look at that uh, Department of Public Health Directive 2020-18, and it's going to get into um, some specifics. And I would anticipate that that directive is the one that will be amended when San Francisco decides to reopen office buildings, because um, I mean it's it's really got the bones of what we need to do. It it covers things like I mean, the the things we're now familiar with, the physical distancing issues, the face coverings, um, disinfecting, washing your hands, that sort of thing. But it it puts it in the context of a commercial office building. So, for instance, on physical distancing, you may need to put up signs and and, mark the floors so that people can can line up where they need to line up without um, being closer than six feet. They got issues like stairwells and elevators that are unique to office buildings.
0: Uh, I think Um, one of the takeaways from what you're saying is uh, that people that are listening need to check local requirements in addition to state requirements, because as you've said, the state allows counties and municipalities to be more conservative than the state guidelines.
1: Yes. Um, the, in theory, the way it should work is you've got the, the state guidance, which is sort of over, overarching, but not particularly detailed. And then the counties should fill in uh, with their, their particular public health departments, providing more detailed instructions of how the county is going to approach things. So, for instance, you know, Los Angeles County their Department of Public Health has issued similar directives and orders as far as working from home, not working in the office, that sort of thing. They take a slightly different approach. Uh, none of these are necessarily in conflict with each other, but they just have a, a very different approach. So for instance, um, you know, take the issue of daily health screenings, which you and I have talked about and we've talked to some clients about uh, because this is the issue of saying that uh, employees who are going to come into the office before they come in really should be screened and, and that could be a self-screening, but they need to be asking themselves or being asked questions about do you have the COVID-19 symptoms um, and with a list of the symptoms or have you been exposed to someone who has tested positive positive? and the, um, the guidance of LA County. You know, still requires that this sort of screening be done, but San Francisco goes uh, for far more detailed and they've actually got a form. You don't have to fill out the form. You don't have to sign the form. You don't have to, you know, keep documentation that, that an employee um, answer these questions, but it says, you know, here's the three questions that need to be asked. And if you, if you answer yes to question number one, here's the list of things that you need to do so it's it's a little more detailed um, on that front, which, as you and I ran into, created some confusion here when those forms were recently updated, and they got uh, they got posted on the city's website, um, not connected to the um, to the directive anymore. So therefore, people weren't sure how they were supposed to be used. It seemed like it was a brand new requirement. But it was just simply an update on an already existing requirement. Which, you know, getting back to um, this Directive 2020-18, one of the things that that uh, both tenants and you know, landlords need to be thinking about is on all these various requirements, including daily health screenings, who's going to be responsible for what. Um, The directives are fairly thorough, but they're not really written from the standpoint of someone who works in commercial real estate. So they just put out requirements for office facilities. Well, that's, you know, most office facilities, you're going to have some things that are handled by the landlord. You're going to have a security desk in the lobby somewhere, and they're going to be taking care of some normal screening. Um, On the other hand, it doesn't make, any practical sense to have, if you have 10,000 employees in the building, they can't possibly all funnel through that security desk. So you're going to have to have um, some understanding between the tenants and the landlords as to who is doing what.
0: And I think there's a couple of good points that John is making. One is why are we focusing on this level of detail? And that's because the law usually requires that commercial property owners follow a certain standard of care. If you fall below that standard of care, you expose yourself to liability. And so being familiar with these standards is clearly a standard of care. And so while it's very detailed and it's hard just to do it on your own, and you should look for counsel from legal counsel or from property managers, you should develop written guidelines that you can give to tenants it's important to follow a standard of care. And the second point John is making here is not all buildings are the same. Not all buildings are first class office buildings that have a you know, vertically integrated staff that can implement these type of procedures and you need to develop procedures that are consistent with guidelines but that are practically implementable. It's hard to do something, but you have to implement something and you have to do it practically as applied to your buildings. And John and I have been working on that with many owners uh, because they do need to be individualized or customized. Um, John, can you um, talk a bit about uh, what happens when an employee of a tenant tests positive that's been in the building or if a contractor in a building uh, tests positive.
1: Yeah, actually, one of the things that we've talked about having plans in place and the plans can be something fairly simple, um, but more typically, you're going to have to, uh, you, you can't just use the checklist that comes with the directive. You're going to have to include things like, what are we going to do if there is a positive case? And one of the things that that you and I have found out that's very important is to have these plans in place before you get the first positive, because you don't want to be scrambling and look like you're scrambling. You want to be able to reach out to tenants and say, "We talked about this plan that we have in, in the event somebody tests positive, and now we're implementing it." So one of the things that needs to be done is you need to have uh, you need to have protocols for making sure that if an tenant um, discovers that their employee tests positive, you need to have them inform the landlord. Um, There are some measures that need to be taken. First of all, you need to make sure that 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 um, positive individual does not come to work, or if they were at work, um, that you have procedures for getting them home safely, and that they're going to quarantine until such time as the various guidelines uh, allow them to come back into the office. But you also need to ensure that there is some thorough disinfection of the the areas where this individual worked. Um, And there are directives from Department of Public Health uh, on on what to do, although they often refer back to the the CDC guidelines for for disinfection. But um, you, you will need to make sure that the area is disinfected. And now here's where things get a little tricky which is what are you going to do in terms of notifying other people because this is confidential medical information it's 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 not something you cannot simply post a notice in the lobby saying um, that Manny Fishman tested positive for COVID-19 and if you've had close contact or rode the elevator with Manny and here's his picture um, you know you should quarantine or get tested Um, that's that's not permissible and we don't want to see that happen But on the other hand, as a landlord, you may have some responsibility to make sure that people who potentially were exposed who are informed that they may have been exposed, that they should be on guard for symptoms, that they may want to test if if they do have symptoms, that sort of thing. And so what we've been encouraging landlords to do is make sure there's a system where if a tenant does have an employee that tests positive, they inform the landlord. Landlord then, coordinates, unless the tenant does their own janitorial, the, the landlord is going to step in and take care of the disinfection. And then the landlord will have some decisions as to who else they notify regarding this positive case. If you have, you know, a massive building that has completely separate elevator banks for different floors, you can obviously fine tune this and only notify tenants who maybe use the same elevator bank. If you have, um, if you have uh you know, particularly if you have a floor that has multiple tenants on that floor you certainly will need to, to inform the other tenants um, you know especially if there's any sort of common areas that they use like bathrooms or, or kitchens and such but um, these are again are things that need to be worked out ahead of time both the dis- disinfection protocol who's going to take care of it and also what notifications are going to be made um, we're, we're still assessing the effect of a law that was just enacted this legislative session and only signed by the governor in September, Uh, it's AB 685. And 685 does a number of things in terms of COVID-19 in the workplace. But the one of most importance to us is that it requires that if an employer is informed that one of their employees has been on the premises and they tested positive, the employer must inform within one business day, provide written notice, to all other employees and also to contractors who were on the premises. So this doesn't really square very well with the sort of directions we've been getting from departments of public health and CDC in terms of who's at risk. It's not everybody in the building. Um, it's generally people who have been working in close contact meaning that they're closer than six feet for more than 15 minutes. So you know, 685, is certainly something we're going to have to sit down and assess on how uh, we're going to implement it. But the fact is that um, it doesn't take effect till January 1, so we have a little time to take a look at it.
0: I'll just note that um, the General Services Administration, the GSA, has recently issued a directive to their landlords uh, as to uh, increased um, uh, disinfecting and other procedures, janitorial procedures, that GSA is requiring of their landlords uh, in office buildings. Uh, So those of you that uh, are are seeing, uh, uh, that have GSA leases, and those tenants are moving back into the offices, uh, should uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, John, the other area of confusion is uh, cleaning procedures and disinfecting procedures apply to all building owners. Uh, San Francisco has adopted one for heightened procedures for certain uh, uh, buildings. So, again, I want to avoid confusion, but can you talk about that distinction?
1: Sure. Uh, There is a cleaning ordinance um, that San Francisco passed for large, what they called large office buildings and, uh, and hotels. And this was passed as an emergency measure, I think, in July under the concern that people would be afraid to come to work that people would be afraid to stay at hotels because of covid-19 and so this emergency measure was passed to heighten cleaning and disinfection of large office buildings and hotels and it included a number of somewhat onerous requirements like you know if you couldn't automatically open the door you would need to have some employee assigned to to uh, open the door for people and a lot of, of somewhat cumbersome um, routine disinfection of, of a whole lot of surfaces. That was eventually turned into a permanent ordinance, no longer an emergency ordinance. And I'm, I believe that has now taken effect. If not, it will be fairly soon. And we were able to get some changes that would make it a little more um, manageable. So that uh, you know you you were only doing the heightened disinfection of areas that were actually high traffic and 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 high contact. So you weren't running around disinfecting empty office buildings. But that that ordinance uh, for heightened disinfection only applies to office buildings that are larger than 50,000 square feet. Uh, the point you're making here is that the, the already existing requirements for best practices for office buildings, which include you know disinfecting high-touch surfaces, those have no size standards. So it doesn't matter how big the office building is, if it's an office building, then you have to follow that protocol 20 that directive 2020-18, and you need to be disinfecting high contact surfaces.
0: Uh- In the last few minutes that we have, uh, what practical tips can you offer to employers and to building owners uh, in implementing reopening procedures? Um, I would start with tenant communications if I had to give one piece of advice. It's important to communicate with your tenants because there's only a certain amount of people that can come in in one time uh, while uh, under certain ordinances. Uh, what practical advice do you have?
1: There's a couple of things. One is do as much as you can now to get ready for the reopening. Um, so for the the landlords, the building owners, there are some things having to do with cleaning and upgrading your HVAC systems to make sure that they're ready. You might as well, you know, this is the time to be doing that um, before the the building can be generally put back into service. You need to going to need to do things like flushing out plumbing, not because that's got a a COVID-19 angle, but if your building has been underutilized for months and months, um, you you need to flush those systems out. The other part is in line with what you're talking about. You need to have written prepared plans for these things. and The Directive 202018 is a really good start, but for most, most large buildings, you're going to need to go beyond that and you need to communicate those plans with the tenants because in some cases you're going to be expecting the tenants to play a role there and they need to know that ahead of time otherwise it's not going to work smoothly if the first time uh, you're telling them about this plan is when you notify them that somebody else on their floor has an employee who has a positive COVID-19 case so yeah you need to be communicating with with them you need to be re-examining these plans um, some of you may have re- actually prepared plans months ago because you had, you had some people coming into your office building. They were essential. So you may have these plans in place, but the requirements, as you pointed out, change over time. And we anticipate that they're going to change here hopefully in a few weeks because when we get the word that uh, office buildings in San Francisco can more generally reopen, it won't be limited to essential businesses we will expect that there will be some further directives from the city on what's going to be allowed. So keep going back and, and reviewing your plans as these requirements change. It's, it's uh, a bit of a pain because you you know, you know would like to be able to set things in stone and not worry about it, but um, the requirements are gonna be changing. And you may find with experiences that something that was working fine when you had a, a 3% occupancy rate Um, just isn't going to work at all when you get to uh, 20% occupancy rate. So you're going to need to constantly reevaluate and you may need to have tenants doing things like uh, staggered shifts coming in so you don't have 5,000 people showing up trying to get on the elevator in the morning. So yeah, communication is really key.
0: Great. Um, Well, we've spent a a quick 20 minutes going over these things. I'm sure there are more issues. It's been a pleasure working with John uh, with real estate clients, uh, bringing uh, his expertise as an environmental health safety uh, uh, lawyer to real estate clients. And uh, we look forward to working with all of you who are listening as we bring our buildings back into full operation.